So please open your Bibles up to John chapter 10, and in a few moments I'm going to ask you to stand as I read the Bible, but first I want to make some opening comments. So today is about hearing God's voice, and the question for us today is, how do we hear God's voice? But I want to make this statement. It is the God-given privilege of every believer to hear God's voice. The question comes, how do we hear his voice? That's the question for today. And this summer, we're looking at five pillars of the Christian faith uh, known as the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. In Latin, um, sola means alone or only. So you've got sola scriptura, scripture alone, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. These are bedrock biblical truths that we need to know and not just know, but live in light of. And so last week we kicked off with sola scriptura, and we saw that God has revealed himself in his supreme and sufficient word. We looked at the supremacy of the Bible, we looked at the sufficiency of the Bible, we also looked at the problems that it solves. Not enough scripture, twisted scripture, and scripture plus. And we also looked at its implications upon our lives. Like if the Bible really is supreme, we need to treasure it, we need to obey it. If the Bible really is sufficient, we need to trust it. And so today, we're going to do a part two, Sola Scriptura, part two, hearing God's voice. And it's the source, look, it's the source of a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, a lot of quandaries for many people. So it's important that we look at this and see what the Bible says about it. Um, the idea here is that scripture is sufficient, but can I hear God apart from his word? What does the Bible say about that? So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. Here we go. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray Today, Lord, that, that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat there. So, God speaks. How can I hear his voice? It's common uh, to talk about the ways God speaks to us. So, we want to know, is there a biblical model for hearing God? Uh, obviously, we all want to trust God to lead us into his truth, we want to know and do the will of God, and which are commendable pursuits. But this is a loaded topic. It's very loaded, okay? I've already preached this sermon twice, and I come in with fear and trembling, and I, and I say, okay, I just want to be true to the word and, and let it speak and, and, and make some comments. But it's a loaded topic. And I want to be very sensitive uh, because we're talking about something very important. We are literally talking about the nature of the relationship that believers have with the living God. There's nothing more important than our relationship with God, and I don't want to cause anxiety for anybody if you don't land in the same place I'm landing with this. Um, my heart is that we interact with God in ways that are biblical and that are taught in the Bible and People on this topic feel really, really strongly. And there's a lot of emotion that goes with it. Now, I would just say this. You should feel strongly about this topic because it's about your relationship with the living God. And emotion becomes a part of that, and, and, we, and we communicate in different ways. Now, here I am speaking in English to people who speak English. And you'd think to yourself, well, that should solve everything. Just say it and they'll get it. But here's what happens. I say one word, you go, oh, he said this. Like, well, no, I didn't say that. But, well, no, that's what it means. And we are really 
in that quandary, are we not, about the problem of, of language? Uh, we communicate in different ways. I am going to try my best in God's strength to communicate this clearly. I'm not going to be perfect about it. The only perfect part of the service is when we read the Word of God, right? The Word of God is perfect. So we've got the barrier of language going on. We understand things differently in English. One word means one thing to me, and it means another to you, and it colors our views. It colors our responses. And so here I am. I'm speaking, and you are taking my words in a certain way, right? The way it goes. So I guess today, and really always, but especially today, let's work hard to understand each other. Not be misunderstood. I don't want to be misunderstood, but if you have questions, just ask. Not during the sermon, though. Right? Not during the sermon. Ask me later if you have questions. Um, and I want to say this. I'm your pastor, not your judge. I'm not here to go, ooh, I can't believe you do this or that in your, in your relationship with God. I, I, I'm not your judge. I'm your pastor. And, and I know, I'm, I'm a bit self-aware, I know that I can say things kind of strongly at times. Um, let me just say, you wouldn't believe how shy I was when I was a little kid. Or even in my younger years. I was just wouldn't say anything that would get anywhere close to controversial. So, um, I know. Who'd figure, right? Um, only God knows. <laughs> My goal is the same as every time I have the privilege, by the grace of God, to stand up here. I used to be true to the Word of God. Just to be true to it, to handle it accurately, to, to handle it in context, and, and try really hard not to intermingle my opinions and absolutely not take my opinions and make those drive the meaning of a passage. So you've got to trust me on this one that I've actually studied these passages and I didn't just come to them with an idea and say, how can we push this one through, okay? Um, I, I do want you to know, too, that uh, I've been studying all week and I've been praying fervently all week. I have been praying fervently regarding what God would have me say today. Seriously, one of my prayers every week is, Lord, what do you want your people to have this Sunday? Please, please lead me into that. And I've studied the word, and I've hopefully used sound wisdom. I think I have. And I just want you to know, I am convinced that God has led me to say what I'm about to say today. And I want you to mark well my words. I just said I'm convinced that God led me. I think when, we, when some people say, well, God speaks to me all the time, they're using that word speak in kind of a lowercase s kind of way. They're not saying God speaks new revelation outside of his word. They're just saying God's leading them. And I might say God used me, and you might say God spoke through you. It just, it's a semantic. And we don't want to get too caught up on semantics. But we do want to understand that words are important. And of utmost importance is the written word of God. We want to know what it means because we were able to read it and see what it says. I want you, as always, to test what I say by the objective word of God, and I think we should ask God to keep all of our emotions in balance. I, I know, I've heard sermons before where I did, disagreed with the preacher, and I'm literally taking notes the whole time about what I want to say to this person, rather than going, Lord, what do you want to teach me right now? So I know how it goes. I do know how it goes. Um, so sometimes we, we come across people that say something that might sound good, but might not be biblically accurate once you kind of delve into it further. And so we're going to look at John chapter 10 today, but we're going to go to three other passages as well, okay? And we've got to use Holy Spirit-given wisdom and God's word to discern. And notable leaders that I am, by the way, I decided I'm not going to name them publicly because I don't want to unfairly discredit them. I don't want to pass unfair judgment. I will reference some writings, and I will... Note one book in particular. Um, and by the way, if you know who I'm talking about, I would just say please use discretion when you handle their materials. They're not all bad. This, maybe on this point, they're, they're not maybe as true to the word as you would want them to be. Um, but just realize that they're not an infallible source of truth. The written word of God is. Now, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I think that's really good because I wouldn't personally recommend you to read them on this topic even if they have some said, they've some said, said some other good things. So maybe you've heard some of the following, and these are quotes, okay? These are quotes. If you have a sickness or disease, one living word from the Lord will instantly heal you. 
It's just a matter of hearing his voice. Another quote, in ordinary conversation we speak, then listen for the response of the other person. It's the same with God. Another quote, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Our part is to position our hearts to hear his still, small voice or recognize other ways God communicates with us. Another quote, Bible study, prayer, and hearing God's voice are all about encountering the man hidden between the lines. I would just say, no, when you open the Bible, you want to encounter the man who is revealed in the lines, the one true God. And Jesus Christ, who is the primary point in Scripture. Here's another quote. Um, Today, he is still speaking to our hearts in gentle whispers that create and renew life in us and around us. And one last quote, the voice of the Lord comes to us in our own thoughts. So what you see is when you see quotes like that, there's a theme running through all these thoughts that God is speaking to us at all times in many ways, and we just need to learn to become better listeners. But it poses a serious question for us. And the question is, does God really speak to us like this? Should we be trying to hear from him in these ways, or should we be content with the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, or is there somewhere in between? And I think what you'll, you'll notice is the difference may seem subtle, but the answer is hugely impactful in the way that you seek to follow Jesus. So it's an important question for you to, to, to wrestle with. Now, we're looking at the, the five souls of the Protestant Reformation. I just want to say this about the Reformation. It was about the Bible. The whole thing was about the Bible. It was about who could read it and interpret it and how you should do so. Uh, when Luther and Zwingli and Knox and Calvin and others fought the growing tide of teaching and authority and practice of the Catholic Church, the church was drifting further and further away from Scripture. And so what the Reformation did was reorient Christianity back to the authority of Scripture, back to the primary message of Jesus. And I think you'll note that the word Protestant comes from the word protest, and it's important to see that we are in this group of protesters, willing to stand for truth according to God's word alone. Now, I'm going to throw out a term that's kind of a loaded, not in a, not in a controversial way, just in a, it's a, long, it's a long term, uh, grammatical historical hermeneutic. What does that mean? It means that the way we interpret scripture is according to a grammatical, historical pattern, a way of looking at it. And this got recaptured in the, in the Reformation. Martin Luther rejected this elaborate fourfold hermeneutic that was prompt, uh, predominant through the medieval centuries, which led to some far-fetched allegorizing of the Bible but it also left scriptural interpretation in the hands of so-called experts who would basically be the only ones who could tell people the secret things that Bible passages really meant. So it doesn't matter what it might just say out of plain reading, there's this secret meaning that you need to, to know and it's gonna come from the experts. So this eventually led to the Reformation. Fundamentally, the Reformation was a, a, a Bible interpretation-driven struggle and so Luther said, no, we need to go with a grammatical, historical hermeneutic. Now, this, he was not the first person to do this. Um, there was a second century debate where Origen basically said, no, there's four things that we need to always be looking at in Scripture. And Tertullian said, no, we're going grammatical, historical. That's what the early church did. So what Luther did when, when he was, was um, protesting the practices of the church, he rescued the, the, uh, the Bible really um, back to the early church's practice. And here's the practice. Each passage of scripture has one basic meaning. And it's rooted in historical truth. It's related accurately according to common principles of human language, the way people think and speak. And, and so historical, it's real, it's interconnected historical events that are to be understood. And it's grammatical, it's using the language any, the way anyone would. So historical grammatical way of interpreting the Bible tethers the truth of the scriptures to real events that have real impact in life, gives us a way of studying scripture with confidence. You boil it down and it's this. God meant one thing whenever he said something. It's, there's one interpretation, 
many applications. Okay? You're not just trying to find a needle in a haystack. Now, let's just say you, you're talking with someone, maybe in your family or friend or coworker, and you're having a discussion about the Bible. And you, you say, well, this particular passage of Scripture, I think it means this. This is my interpretation. I've worked at it, and I think it means this. And the person says, ah, that's just your interpretation. Or they say, nobody can really know what it means. Let's just agree to disagree. Well, first of all, you have to hold your interpretations of Scripture with humility, humbly. But I would say, don't settle for anything less than the correct interpretation of the Bible, because it's the very word of God. So you want to work hard. And it is possible to correctly interpret the Bible. And if we say otherwise, it's self-defeating. We must use sound principles of interpretation and know what it means. Grammatical historical method, where you understand the meaning of the words and sentences of the Bible according to how they were normally used by the speakers of that language in their historical context, and then you bridge that to the time in which you live. Now, the comforting thing for us is that God's word stands no matter what. At the end of the day, at the end of time, a beautiful thing about the sovereignty of God and the providential working and giving us his word, which I said last week, is from him, it's all true, it's without error. That he has entrusted his word into the hands of frail, faulty, fallible human beings, such as ourselves, who often mangle it, who often make it say things it doesn't say, and, and, and God is able to just make sense of all that because he is sovereign. All Christians don't agree on all things, and that's an understatement, uh, but we must agree on the essentials of the faith, yes, but on non-essentials, we have to live in harmony. But instead of making the Bible say what we want it to say, we, we've got to allow it to speak into our lives. Like, for example, I hope that you're not coming to these passages of Scripture today and saying, my mind's already made up. Uh, doesn't matter what I hear. I'm going to go with what I thought already. Um, we don't want to demand it to say what we think it should say. We've got to come with an open heart, ready to receive truth from the Spirit of God, which is why I pray Psalm 19, 119, verse 18, often open my eyes that I will see wonderful things in your word. What we're saying when we pray that is, God, whatever you say, I'm going to rearrange my life accordingly in Christ's strength and for his glory. So we're going to dive in. That was the intro, but we're going to dive into John chapter 10. The goal is to obviously rightly handle scripture in context, and we're going to look at this passage and several others. And the main idea is this. You hear the voice of God as the Holy Spirit speaks in the word to change your life. You hear the voice of God as the Holy Spirit speaks in the word to change your life. We're gonna go with that main idea and we're gonna roll through that and see what these passages of scripture say. John, and by the way, what I did is I, I studied these four passages of scripture and came up with the main idea, okay? It was like, this is what these passages are saying. So, John 10, 27 to 29, about hearing the voice of Christ. What does it mean to hear Jesus' voice? We need to know what this passage is saying. So think back to the Old Testament. God is communicating his law, through the law, his expectations for his people. Then he communicates through the prophets, which is calling the people back to the law, to the obedience, and people listened to God's voice by living in conformity with his revealed will. According to Jesus, those who follow God do so by listening to his words and obeying his commands. If you just go over to John 15, verse 10, you'll notice this. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then verse 10, if you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, Jesus says, my sheep, which literally is the sheep that are mine, belonging to me, they're obedient. They know the shepherd. They're loyal to him. And and in verse 28, we see that they are given eternal life. This is key to understanding this passage. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. So the idea is the security of the sheep, they belong to Christ. They're guaranteed eternal life and, and have permanent protection by God. And eternal life is given to them. It's not earned by them. 
God chooses his sheep, they believe, and they follow. John 6, 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And you see that the security of the sheep is in in Christ as the good shepherd. Uh, No one, verse 28, will be able to snatch them out of my hand. And then he says, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. So there's no thief, no robber, no wolf that's going to harm them as sheep. Obviously, he's using figures of speech here. No one's able to steal them from God. God is sovereign and in control of all things. And by the way, if you've ever wondered, you say, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, but sometimes I wonder, am I really a Christian? This passage right here is the strongest passage in the Bible for the absolute eternal security of believers. But what it isn't about is hearing a voice outside of Scripture. What it's about in context is hearing the gospel, hearing God's word, and believing in Jesus for eternal life. Now, when we talk about hearing God's voice, we have to ask, well, how does it happen? How how do you do that? Well, you come with a humble heart before God, a heart that's been spiritually reborn solely by the grace of God through faith in Christ. Jesus died in your place, uh, shed his blood to pay for your sins, rose on the third day, ascended to the Father, is promised to return, and then you trust the Holy Spirit of God to help you understand the written word of God, because in the written word of God, you find his revealed will. Now, not that every specific thing you should do in life, but the will of God is revealed in the word of God. Now, a lot of people teach that apart from the written word of God, you should expect to get messages from God, and that's what you want to test this idea out with script, on scripture. Um, there is a book, and I will mention it. It's, it's a book called Jesus Calling. Millions and millions of copies have been sold. I think like nine or ten million dollars. Um, nine or ten million books. Made much more than that. Um, but the writer said this. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible. Yet I yearned for more. So the, the writer is yearning for more outside the Bible. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. The publisher describes the process like this. After many years of writing her own words in her prayer journal, she decided to be more attentive to the Savior's voice. By listening for what he was saying, with pen in hand, she embarked on a journey that forever changed her and many others around the world. In these powerful pages are the words and scriptures Jesus lovingly laid on her heart. One more idea, there's a prominent ministry that says knowing and hearing God's voice is a basic right of every believer. I said that at the very beginning. I agree with that. But then they claim that you should hear extra biblical messages from God, and here's how they put it. God communicated with men and women who walked and talked with him, gave them very detailed instructions. Very interesting about that. He did not give every person in scripture very detailed instructions. But then they say thoughts will come into your mind. Write them down. Don't argue with God or he will stop speaking until you are finished. Be prepared that he may speak to you through his word or through the eyes of your heart, a vision. And what what struck me about that is be prepared that he may speak to you through his word. He may speak to you through his word. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that God would choose to speak to us through his written revelation, which is his supreme sufficient vehicle of communication with us. But the question you've got to ask yourself with all of these things is, How authoritative is the message you're receiving? Because if you are truly getting God's word from God, it is authoritative and now binding on you. Now, if you keep it to yourself, you got to deal with it. But if you give it out to 9 or 10 million people, now they have to have that authoritative word binding on them, and it came from outside of Scripture. Now, there was one famous Christian who wrote a book, who wrote a lot of good things, but one of the books was about how to listen to God. And this person said that Christians must always be listening for God's still small voice of guidance. Look, I've talked in a similar ways, and, and, I, and I, it, it sounds so, so right. And it says, the person says, God will speak and give his people specific direction. And the person goes on to say, now, all the stories you read in the Bible, read them as an example of how God spoke to people in the past. Still sounds pretty good. But then the writer says Christians should expect him to speak in the same way today. So now you're expecting God to speak to you in the same way he spoke 
to some people in the Bible, but not everyone in the Bible. And the writer applied this to the still small voice passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and the idea is you should assume that God is going to speak to you the same way. The problem with that, if you look at the context of 1 Kings 19, are you also going to assume that God is going to send down fire from heaven to consume sacrifices on your own personal Mount Carmel? Because that's what he did in that setting as well. And so you see in 1 Kings 19, the Lord is passing by. He's passing by, and there are three phenomena that show up, uh, basically earth, wind, and fire here. Wind, earthquake, and fire, and it's announcing the imminent arrival of God. God is going to show up and talk to Elijah. And God reveals himself to Elijah in a faint, whispering voice. That is what happens. But the question is, what lesson do you, do you take out of that passage? You say, well, now I've always got to get a faint whispering voice from God. And there's a lot of people that are, get, get really confused. Is God speaking to me or is it just my mind and all these things? The lesson I think that this passage is teaching is that God was quietly, sometimes imperceptibly, um, doing his work in Israel. This was about the nation of Israel. Verse 18 tells us that. And it was the still small voice. And he was showing Elijah his work. It's not always done in big, noisy ways. The miracles are wonderful, but lasting spiritual work is accomplished by the word of God quietly working in the hearts of his people. And God was actually giving him a rebuke. He was correcting faulty thinking. And so here's Elijah, whose thoughts are confusing him, and here's God's word that is correcting him. And this is what happens when you come to the word. You have these thoughts that are confusing you, and the word corrects. Graham Goldsworthy uh, wrote a book called Gospel and Wisdom, and he makes a, a good point, and I think you should test this. I think you should go through the Bible and test this point. He says, every case of special guidance given to individuals in the Bible has to do with that person's place in the outworking of God's saving purposes. No instances in the Bible where God gives special and specific guidance to the ordinary believing Israelite or Christian in the details of their personal existence. And the idea is you go through scripture and you do not find yourself being told to hear any voice but the voice of God through the written word of God. You're to seek God's guidance, you're to seek his will, but you're not told to hear any voice but the voice of God through the written word of God. Um, according to scripture, hearing God's voice means hearing the written word of God and trusting the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. The idea that I brought up last week is when scripture speaks, God speaks. Interestingly, in the Bible, you'll notice synonymous, interchangeable words being used for God's written word. God's word, God's voice, the Spirit's sword, and so on. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in personal experience cannot be disengaged from scripture. The Spirit does not speak independent of scripture. Apart from it, we would not know the grace of God in Christ. So the biblical word, rather than our experience, is the test of truth. Here's how John Owen put it. Scripture is the only blueprint of the glory of Christ. Only in Scripture and only by faith can we behold the glory of Christ while still in this life. And there's a very interesting thing that Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 19-21. That no prophet spoke of his own will. Men carried along, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And he said that we have a prophetic word more sure. More sure than what? He was talking about being on the Mount of Transfiguration and seeing the glory of God. And he says this. The, the, the word is sufficient above experiences and revelations. Uh, the prophetic word was more certain than seeing Jesus in all his glory. So you hear the voice of God as the Holy Spirit speaks in the word to change your life. Now I want you to move on to John chapter 16 with me. And we'll take a, some brief moments in here the, about the Holy Spirit speaking and just see what this is saying. The Holy Spirit speaks declaring truth and the question is, what will the Spirit declare and when will he declare it? So look at verse 12, John 16, 12. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now Jesus is telling his disciples that the revelation that they had up to that point day to that point was incomplete uh, that the holy spirit would lead them into the full comprehension of all that he would give them 
which, if you think about it, in that promise lies the germinal authority of the apostolic writings, uh, which would transmit the revelation of Jesus Christ to his disciples by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says he'll lead you into all the truth and points to the supernatural revelation of all truth by which God has revealed himself in Christ. Now you compare, compare John 14, 26. Look at John 14, 26. The helper, excuse me, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You look at that verse, then you look at 16.13, where the, um, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, he will declare to you things to come. And I think what you see in this is the wonderful way that God arranged for the writing of the New Testament scriptures. The spirit would remind them of what Jesus had taught them, gives us the four gospels. The spirit would guide them into all the truth, results in the epistles, and he will show you things to come, referring to the prophetic scriptures, the book of Revelation. And remember, it says, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. All New Testament truth revealed by God centers on Christ. And Christ himself said he was the point of the Old Testament. He was the theme of the Old Testament, Luke 24. But the teaching of the Spirit through the apostles was no different from the teaching of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. The same Holy Spirit communicated the truths found in the Gospels, the Epistles, Revelation, and even in the history and, and uh, doctrine found in the book of Acts. Is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that enriches us with the treasures of God's truth. And, and the word of God in Proverbs says it's, it's, Proverbs says the word of God is a rich mine of gold, silver, and precious jewels. Which is, it just blows my mind how amazing that God, what, what a joy it is that God would, would have the spirit of God illumine his word for us to help us understand it. Because it is a rich mine of gold, silver, and precious jewels. So it's likened to that. But what you can't do is use this passage as a proof text for God continuing to speak to believers after the Bible was given. He is speaking of how the Holy Spirit would inspire the rest of Scripture, which brings us to what is known as the canon. We're not talking about big, heavy alt artillery guns here. Uh, the canon of Scripture is the 66 individual books, the very God-breathed Word of God, written by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the word canon means standard. So if you say, how do we know that what we've got here is actually the Bible, the real word of God? You've got to understand a couple things. First, God has always made clear his word to his people. Over time, God has always led his people to recognize his word. He did it with Israel in recognizing the Old Testament. He did it with the church to recognize the New Testament. Uh, challenges came in that caused the church to provide criteria. But the church, and Greg Gilbert wrote a good book, Why, Why Trust the Bible?, uh, he said the early church did not choose, but simply recognized the books they inherited from previous generations, all the way back to the apostles. So they affirmed that when, when, when challenges to a book, let's say in the New Testament canon, came up, they had to affirm it by four primary tests. Was it written by an apostle? Was it from the first century? Uh, did it agree with the standard of truth from Christ? And was it fully accepted by all the churches at that point? So people, the people of God, recognize God's voice in the written word. And here's a comforting thing. When you pick up your Bible and, uh, and you read it, and you say to yourself, is this really the word of God? Do we, or is it missing anything? Or is there something in here that shouldn't be in here? Just know this, and this is a comfort to know this. There is no, just take the New Testament, for example. There is no book in our New Testament canon that shouldn't be there. Uh, it, it was according to reasonable criteria that it was put in there. The other thing you can be com comforted to know is there is not one document that has existed in the history, the entire history of the world that belongs in the canon of Scripture but is not in it. God has preserved his word. And the thing about the canon is, and we say this often, there's no new revelation, no new Scripture coming from God. The canon of Scripture, nothing will be added to it. So go with me to Hebrews 1. Let me point out something quickly and then we'll move on. But Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. This is key to understanding the canon of Scripture is closed and there's no new revelation coming. And that it is sufficient. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There's the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. 
What you need to understand about that is that that word he has spoken is in the perfect tense. It means he spoke it and it's a completed action. He's done it. He's not going to keep doing it. He will lead and he will guide, but he will not speak new revelation. He will illumine the revelation already given. And, and then we talk about the idea of being led by the Spirit. You've heard me probably say it a few times already. Let's look at that phrase, led by the Spirit. We, we, use, we use it a lot in Christian circles. Interesting to know, it's only used two times in the New Testament in reference to believers. Romans 8, 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Galatians 5, 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Both contexts makes it really clear this is about obeying God, uh, walking in holiness and obedience to God. Uh, life in the spirit contrasted with life in the flesh. So Paul's saying, keep in step with the spirit, resist the desires of the flesh. That's what it means to walk by the spirit, to be led by the spirit. It's not directional language. Apart from the spirit, we have no hope of becoming more like Christ. But we are never called to search out his voice for directional guidance because scripture says it is sufficient for life and godliness. So be led by the spirit means to be obedient to what the spirit inspired in his word, Letting the word control how you think, how you feel, how you live your life. Now, I think it's very valid, and you've heard me say these phrases, I think it's very valid to say, you know, I feel that God is leading me to do something. Um, or God is calling me to do something. I think that's totally valid. But, but it's not because he audibly told us or gave us some outward sign, but as we pray... And our ultimate prayer is that we would have our will conform to God's will. It makes sense that as decisions come up, we pray and try to think through what Scripture says and how that might apply, and that we would feel, it makes totally sense, that God is conforming our will to His and leading or guiding or even prompting us. That's a valid response. But it's crucial to, to think about what's actually happening when you do that. He is using his word and prayer to conform your mind and your heart and your will to his, not giving you some extra words or leaning, leading with external signs because as Christians, as far as I can tell, we're not to read tea leaves or you know, um, uh, the fortune cookie fortune, right? We don't do this, right? That's not how we get our guidance, right? Please help me out here. First and second hours, so that's not right. Okay, just wanna make sure you're good, okay. <laughs> Now, tra this traces back to what it means to be a human being made in the image of God, okay? We, and, and I've been, I'm guilty of it, we're probably all guilty of it, we over-spiritualize things, heaven, sanctification, and we start to give the impression that the truly spiritual, holy person will have some type of direct connection to God, and it's less godly just to use your brain and, and, and the word of God and apply it to your life. Um, but here's what a proper understanding of being made in the image of God means. That you realize uh, being made in God's image means that God created physical matter very good, Genesis 131, gave us the ability to discern, to think, use the gray matter, and intended us to use it to its fullest capacity. Now, all the time I look at my phone and I'm like, I am not using this phone you know, up to 2% of its capacity. I don't even want to think about how, how, what capacity my brain has that I'm not using, okay? We're not going to go there today. But let me just say, God wants you to use the mind he gave you, and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and he's giving you the ability to discern, and he intended you to use it to your full, its fullest capacity. But I don't believe he made humans to get special impressions or words from the Lord. Some in the Bible did, but not all. So you have to say something about how they must have been deficient if you're going to say that's a model for everybody. Now think with me for a moment about what college you're supposed to go to, or you're trying to figure out who should I marry, what college should I go to, what job should I take. You don't have to wait for a specific word. Use the wisdom God is giving you according to the word and make a wise choice and own your choice. You may go to that college and go, you know, it didn't work out, I'm going to another college. Now you get married, that's binding. That's binding. But he made us to have our minds conform to the truth applied to various situations. And I hope you can see that words that you use don't drive the truth of what you're saying you're doing. Again, someone could say, God spoke to me, and mean with a little s, God's just using his word in my life, and I've, 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 it's, I'm immersed in it, and I'm just seeking God's will, and, and I think this is a good decision to make. 
Sanctification is the conforming of your mind to Christ's by the word to discern and act wisely. Because you hear the voice of God as the Holy Spirit speaks in the word to change your life. I'm going to go two more places here. Quickly go to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to see the word and we're going to see this phrase, we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? So, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 talks about the mature, genuine believers saved by Jesus. And the mysteries, verse 7, mysteries, not something puzzling here, but truth known to God before time that he kept secret until he planned to reveal it. And it's for our glory. God will save and glorify sinners. And it talks about how the wisdom that saves, verses 10 through 16, the wisdom that saves is, is not wisdom that man can know unless God reveals it. And, and what it's getting to is that this is God making known by revelation, inspiration, and illumination what he has to say. Uh, verses 10 and 11, uh, actually 10 through 12, uh, the idea of revelation, that God the Holy Spirit imparted to Bible writers truth that was indispensable, excuse me, indispensable and undiscoverable via human unaided reason. You couldn't figure this out unless God gave it to you. So uh, the, he, he, he revealed his truth to the Bible writers, and then he inspired, verses 12 and 13, uh, the inspiration was given to those who wrote the Bible, wrote it down, and the Bible, uh, the Spirit enabled the Bible writers to write down God-chosen words infallibly, revealed the truth. He uh, freely gave us this gift of his word. And in the process, he turned spiritual thoughts into spiritual words, verse 13, to give life. Now then you got with illumination, verses 14 through 16, that all believers in Christ are to seek and to know and understand divinely written truth. The Spirit enables believers to understand the truth given by revelation and written down by inspiration. And the Holy Spirit does that work. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives life. Literally, the unfolding means the unveiling, um, the understanding given by God of something difficult, and it gives understanding to the simple. And then um, the idea of the mind of Christ, uh, verse 16. The same word is used for understanding. Believers are allowed by the Spirit and the Word to know Christ's thoughts in the Word. Luke 24, 45 says that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That's the idea. One other place I want you to go is Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to look at just a couple verses there, and then we'll begin to bring the plane in for a landing, Okay? So, uh, we're going to talk about the voice and the word and the sword of God, okay, that changes your life. Now, I want you to notice in Hebrews 3, 7, it says that the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, it's quoting Psalm 95, if you hear his voice. Then you go over to Hebrews 4, 7, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Same quote from Psalm 95. Then you go down to verse 12, which verse 12 we just airlift out of Hebrews all the time, unwisely. But verse 12, it's very well known. But look at verse 11 first. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest, Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So Sabbath rest for the people of God is where you rest from your works and rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. And so if you look at 3.7, it says, today if you hear his voice. You look at 4.7, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And then verse 12, for the word of God. So parallel to hearing the voice is the word of God. It's the same phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, the same meaning. The, the voice and the word are, are referring to the same thing. Don't disobey the word. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing Division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And the idea is this. If you're a believer and you're obedient, the word comforts you. It nourishes you. But if, if you're not, and if you're not a believer, it, it's a tool of judgment and execution for those who don't believe. And it exposes shallow beliefs and exposes false intentions. And if you look at verse 13, it says that there is no creature hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed or literally open to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. And the idea here is that the only time open is used in the New Testament is right here, and it means to expose the neck in preparation for sacrifice or beheading. That each person is judged not only by the word of God, but by God himself. We're accountable to the living written word. We're accountable to its author, the living God. 
If you wonder about that, just look at John 6, 63 and John 6, 68 and Acts 7, 38. But as I bring this to a close, let me just say this. Look, look, this is like scratching the surface, is it not? It's like 40 minutes, and you can't give the whole picture. It's a bigger conversation, obviously. But this is about, at its root, a living relationship with the living God through the living word. God speaks every day very clearly to his people by his spirit through his word, and then he leads, and he guides, and he provides. He gives all sorts of guidance to his people that are looking to him, and, and wisdom as we trust in him, but it's different than hearing a voice in our heads or with our ears, and again, I think it's the difference between capital S speak and little s speak, um, and even if it is a matter of semantics, we need to use our words carefully. Now, you may say to me, hey, why are you so concerned about this? Well, it's because of the danger of ascribing to God what isn't from him, that we make something authoritative and we call people to obey something that may or not be from God. I think a great need in our time is for people to experience the living reality of God by hearing his word personally and transformingly in scripture. And I think, you know, I'm indicted by this and probably all of us, but something is incredibly wrong when the words that we hear outside of scripture affect us more than God's inspired word. It could be a novel we read, it could be something we hear or some newspaper, but our desire. Our desire ought to be to have sweet, sweet fellowship with Jesus. Psalm 19 says God's word is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. I encourage you, have sweet, sweet fellowship with Jesus every day by his spirit through his word. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's an Italian evangelist in the 1800s. He had a great name, Marco Mariani. Great name. He spoke to an orchard um, owner up in northern Italy, and the man says to him, your book you say is the word of God and you have no proof of it. And Mariani looks at the guy's orchard and says, you know, you have some fine-looking pears, but it's a pity that they're of such poor quality. The orchard owner's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. What do you mean poor quality? You haven't even tasted them yet. Take a few and see what you think. And so Mariani takes a few and the evangelist says, whoa, you're right, these pears are excellent. But sir, you must deal with my book as I have dealt with your fruit. Taste and see that the word of God is good. If you are looking for scripture plus an extra biblical voice, um, it's going to be very hard to distinguish between the two. And you're going to become the authority if you have to make the final decision. And by the way, if you believe this right now, I am not saying you're a lesser version of a Christian I think it might be unwise, but I, I'm not saying going to a lower level of heaven, okay? Um, but I also need to tell you the heartbeat of the Catholic Church is scripture plus pope plus tradition. And if we as evangelicals say, well, scripture plus, and then you name it in the brackets, we would be uh, guilty of trying to adopt the same error. We don't want to do that. Martin Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak read Holy Scripture. God speaks today. You hear the voice of God as the Holy Spirit speaks in the word to change your life. And one of the reasons why it's a big deal is because a lot of people that are made to feel like they must be having certain experiences if they're really a Christian. And they begin to feel guilty and less than and a lower class of Christian because they're not hearing God speak to them in the way that someone's telling them they need to hear it. And I'll just tell you right now, God speaks to me every day by his spirit through his word as I delight in him, as I walk by the spirit obediently. And when I do that, he guides me, he gives me wisdom uh, by his word. The key, I think, is delighting yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse four, and I think this is foundational to hearing God's voice. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which means that God will lead you as you seek him by putting his desires in you. He leads you as you delight in him. Walk by the Spirit. And, and you won't see all of your desires realized, but you will see God giving you desires. They might not always be fulfilled, but he will use them to lead where he wants you to go. I think if you seek to know God through his revealed word, plus something else, you walk into a landmine. You've got to seek God through the word. He will lead you. 
Uh, if it's scripture plus something else, um, our deceitful hearts are now put in the equation and we're painting ourselves in a corner. We want to be dependent on our hearts or on God's heart. If we inject ourselves at the authority, we are going to say that the additional communication must meet every standard that scripture meets. We want to seek God through his word, delight in him, and as you do that as a child of God, he's going to supernaturally change your heart to what he wants. As we finish, I'll just say this. We're talking about, again, the nature of the relationship between believers and the living God. It's a much larger discussion, merely scratching the surface, but my heart is that we would engage, interact with God in ways that are biblical I'm concerned that when we build our lives around something not in the Bible, we ignore things in the Bible. Um, It's not wise for us. And and again, I'm not here to indict you. I'm not here to call into question your way of communion with God. I just would prefer that people wouldn't look for something where it might not be. My plea to you, my plea to you today is see God's word as your source of communication with him. Delight yourself in him. Find your joy in pursuing him in his word and he will put his desires in you. He will change your heart in the most specific ways in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that our target would be to know you through your word. Lord, change our desires. Shape our decisions. What we do, what we choose. We want to submit our wills to you, Lord. We want to delight in you. We want you to change our hearts as we come face to face with you and your word. I know, Lord, you care about how we live the rest of this day and what we choose to do tomorrow should you grant us another day. And I pray, Lord, that we would delight in Christ, that we would be immersed in the word and trust the spirit to lead, guide, and provide, and that in every line of scripture we read, we would truly believe that you are speaking to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.